those of you who don't know me, uh, our family much, uh, my wife is Martha, and uh, we have 11 children. Come from Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, and uh, we love the church. We love our brotherhood, and we love the Anabaptist communities. We love the church at large, and it's our heart just to see the kingdom of Christ being built up. Um, just before I stood up here, I thought of a song. I love thy kingdom, Lord. I thought maybe we could start with that. I love thy kingdom, Lord. Somebody want to lead that? 357, I love thy kingdom, Lord. And let's just sing the first verse. the kingdom, Lord, the house of thine abode, church, our blessed Redeemer, saved with his own precious blood, thy church, O God. Walls we for thee stand, dear as the apple of thine eye, engraven in thy hand. Appreciate the thoughts there, focusing on the source. You know, many times we get distracted in life and we forget where to put our focus. And uh, if you want something life-giving, get it back on Jesus. That is a great place to end up always. Um, I appreciate those thoughts this morning. You know, as I was preparing this message, I sort of had a little bit of a dilemma. Which is more important, preparing a message or taking your boys fishing? You know, I think about being a father, and there's so many demands, being a business, uh, running a business, being a father, taking care of the needs of the church, ministering, and yesterday came, and I'm not much of a fisherman, I really, it's, they just always seem to sit there in the water and look at me, and I just, but my sons wanted to go, and, uh. That question, what if Okay, I can I can preach if you need me to. I can turn the volume up here. They say, uh, who was it, George Whitfield or John Wesley, one of them men? A man was converted about a mile away one morning while he was preaching. But that was back before there was a lot of other noise. You 
things were still horse and buggy days, and there wasn't much uh, traffic and that kind of thing. But uh, <clears throat> so, what is more important? I tell you, you know, here's something I wrestle with: if we're too busy for the children, and we say, "Not today, son. We'll we'll, we'll do something tomorrow," and uh, the next day comes and we say, you know, son, I, I, I really, you know, but I've got the things of the Lord, you know, and that's more important. And so next day goes by and then somewhere along the line, you say, you know, really, I really need to spend time with my son. He's now getting older. He's in his teens or he's a little older. And we look at him and, you know, son, we'd really, I'd like to spend some time with him. He says, well, dad, I've, I've, I've got things to do and uh, it's time to. I, I really got to be about the the work of the Lord, <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know. And if we really do, we have a ministry if we don't have our children's hearts. Do we have a ministry? I'm not sure, but I, I do know that if we're not making connections there, it's much more difficult. Be wise, my son, so that I can answer those who challenge me. You know, Malachi, last verse, this has always been one of my favorite verses in the Bible. But the Old Testament wraps up. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and deadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Somehow I see in that verse that um, God's heart for meaningful relationships um, with our children and... Uh, you know, tying strings, I think, is important. I think it's very important. However you do that as a family, I don't know. But I just encourage you to spend time tying strings um, so that when you get to the difficult times, you've got something more, some kind of elasticity to the relationship. There's always going to be difficult times in relationships. But tie some strings so that there's some elasticity there and things don't give right away. Um, Get a chance. Take your that chubby little two-year-old hand and take a slow walk out the back lane. Start with that relationship with that child. Um, when they become teenagers, make sure you're taking the time. And my wife actually does the best at this in our family. But she does such a good job just reminding me, hey, Daddy, you need to, it's time to talk to one of the girls. Just sit down. Let's go into a room with the teenage children and uh, spend time sharing one-on-one with them. We did that quite a bit recently. Our oldest son was just getting ready to leave home. It's been kind of a transition for our family. Always in the past, I've counted oh, 11 heads there. And you know how you go around and make sure everybody's there for lunch. And uh, now that's changing. Um, one of our girls got engaged this past week. And uh, we just see life moves on. You can't really stop it. And so we need to make sure that we're making the moments and the days count. Some of our favorite times as a family have been worship evening, uh, times around the family worship 
worshiping God. But often the, the, the family, the communication will get gone about other things. And they start chatting about this and this and this. And I'll often just let it go and not have worship for a while because I feel that that is about as important as anything that can happen. Just that sharing back and forth and meaningful time together. Um, and so I'll just let it go for a while while the family talks. And after a while you'll say, we well, you know, it's getting late. We need to spend time in the Word of God and worship God. Um, or sometimes we'll do it vice versa. We'll spend time in the Word of God and, and pray together, and then we'll share. Just spend time uh, sharing together. And that is some of the most meaningful times in our family. Um, is it more important to find the right church or to be the right people? Is it more important to find the right church or to be the right person? I uh, appreciate Brother Leonard's testimony. He shared a couple times with me over the years about, you know, he spent some time looking for a congregation. Finally, he got to the point where he decided, I'm diving in. You probably heard him say this. I'm going to the bottom of the pond. In other words, I'm, I'm giving it. I'm going to commit now. And uh, I've always appreciated his testimony that way. Um, if our Christianity doesn't work at home, it's not wise we export it. And I'm thinking of scripture there. How can a man say he loves God, but loves not his brother who he can see or his sister, you know? Um, I guess what I, I guess one of the things I've wrestled with over the years and seeing up and coming churches and uh, there's something that I would like to promote here this morning that I've wrestled with a little bit in watching church growth. One time I sat in a minister's meeting, and there was probably 70 pastors sitting there. And I just nudged a brother beside me. I said, Brother, looking out over this group of men, how many of them worship with their father? And he sat there and counted around a little bit, and he said, maybe... And I I don't know what that means to you, but it tells me that what dad had was not good enough for the sons. And, And I understand the need to find a group to worship with where you feel safe with your children. The flip side of that is rolling stones... Don't collect any moss, but rotating doors tend to pinch small fingers. Rotating doors tend to pinch small fingers. We have many teachers, but not many fathers. And uh, I don't have the answers to some of the things I'm presenting this morning. I just know that I'm concerned that what we have is enough for our children. That the walk we have with God is meaningful enough that they want it. That they want it. <clears throat> so how can we come to the point where Grant... You mentioned this morning, Earl, about you folks are a little rooted here. And I told you, why well, I think the River Brother is a lot more rooted. I don't know. I... I <clears throat> Yeah.
in, in ministering and going out and starting new churches and missionary work, I believe there's appropriate times. But I think they're also in our Anabaptist circles where we've got something really missing. It's the ability to see grandfather and father and son and grandson who can worship together and appreciate the generation before them. A Christianity that can attract all four generations under the same roof. Honor thy father and thy mother that it may go well with thee. (laughs) And uh, I always hesitate to preach on honoring our parents, especially when I get into certain circles, you know, and I could because it makes it causes some to experience some kind of guilt. And yet it is the one commandment that has a promise attached to it that God promises blessing. And I don't know how. We can all fulfill that all the time. And yet, if we don't figure out a way to do it, God promises that we will wrestle with the blessing, that it may go well with thee, that it may go well with thee. Um, And also think of Jesus when after the Pharisees one day, he said, you don't honor your parents. You say that... What the, the the honor I could give to them, I giving as a gift to God, and and I'm I'm doing things for the kingdom of heaven's sake, and it, it and Jesus said it is Corbin. It is okay. Some thoughts on brotherhood. I. I kind of bounce around through my preaching, so hang on. For those of you who like somebody to pick one subject and kind of stick to it, um, that's hard for me to keep from getting bored on one subject, so I just kind of jump around a little bit. Uh, so, some thoughts on brothers' meetings. Some criteria on being qualified for sharing at brothers' meetings. Actually, I spent this time, I spent those four years in New York. We had such interesting brother meetings that I almost didn't feel like going sometimes. <laughs> so we had, we had Pentecostal brother, we had a Baptist brother, we had ex-Amish brother, we had River brother. And, and we tried to sit there and have brothers meetings. And, you know, we tend to not end up far from the tree we fell from. And even though there's some things we appreciate about each other, it was... Oh, so what is I, I just put down some thoughts I had here. What is criteria for being qualified to share a brother's meetings? And a brother years ago made a comment that has stuck with me ever since. He said to his girlfriend who was dating, and she was coming in from to the brotherhood from another church setting, and uh, he said. You'll know you're part of the brotherhood once you've been hurt deeply by us and you have forgiven freely. Then you'll know that you're a part. And I think 
there's some truth to that for brethren. You're qualified to share in a brother's meeting when you've been hurt deeply and have forgiven freely. Father, forgive us our debts in the same way that I forgive my brother's sins against me. Father, to the same degree... When we can share in meaningful ways without contention. By the way, this is something I shared quite a bit at different times. Only by, I discovered this verse a couple years ago. It really means a lot to me. Only by pride cometh contention. Um, Only by pride. That means every single case of contention has some kind of pride attached to it. Only by pride come with contention. We have in Lancaster County, they just recently added on to their school and made a bigger building for church. And uh, I uh, look at the paint job and the block job. And the block job from years ago, the block job is awful. I'm a contractor, and I wouldn't do well in the construction world um, if the block work looked on the job sites, even on farm buildings, quite like it is in the church house there. But you know what? I have some good memories. I got to thinking about when those blocks were laid. We had older men and boys working together. And I don't know if any of them had experience with block work. Today, that is a good memory. The block work doesn't look pretty. To top it off recently, in their addition, a couple of the sisters were asked to get paint for these restrooms. And, and so, imagine this. Only a couple of them volunteered, so they were brave enough to do it. They went out and chose some olive-colored paint. And a few other people came to help paint it's like we're putting this on this wall i'm not and uh it just so happened i think i can share this because my sister was apparently one of the ladies who helped to pick this paint but uh i just as i look at that to me now that paint has a story behind it and i i probably wouldn't pick olive paint myself but i actually like olive paint now because it's got a meaningful story behind it of how we learn to get together and get along as a brotherhood. Even if somebody picks the paint color, we wouldn't choose. And to me now, with that story, I actually like olive. I kind of like olive paint now. It's just uh, olive colored. Uh, you know, sometimes we don't see life from other people's perspective. I'll tell you about one time I didn't. This week, my son just moved to Idaho, and he there's a, some house parents there. He's working at um, Springs of Hope Boys Ranch out there as a as a mentor for a couple years with the younger boys. And uh, the one family there that was just had house parents had come in for a couple weeks, and their house dog died. Fuzz died this week, and 
we kind of we don't have dogs in our house, so we kind of think it interesting when other people do. But and they really can get attached, and I, I do in some cases have problems with it because I think some people <clears throat> replace children with pets. And, and they don't have time for children, but they've got all kinds of energy for a pet. So I think there's a limit there somewhere. But uh, so Fuzz died this week, and my son was kind of surprised and taken back about how hard it was for this family. And, you know, I had to, as he shared that, I had to think of years ago when I was a boy. There was an older sister in the community there, had a had dog, a little thing that always yapped in the high sea. And I like to tease the thing and irritate it. And one day, it was either run over by a vehicle or a four-wheeler or something. I just thought it was funny. I was just this crazy, happy little dog. Okay, it's done now. And uh, my father put a sympathy card together and sent it to her. And I found out later that it really meant something to her. And I hadn't seen it from that perspective. I didn't realize, you know. This, this dog actually really meant something. And if someone would take the time to show love and write a sympathy card and give it. And I learned something from my father that day. We don't always see things from the same perspective and how other people feel about things. Um, thoughts on leadership, servant leadership. We call our brotherhood, our ministers and our brotherhood, we call them the servant body. Um, leaders at all costs seek to be unified. Lack of oneness in marriage creates insecurities in these little guys. Lack of oneness in leadership creates the same insecurities in young, unbelie- in young believers. Seek to be unified. Last weekend, one of our brethren was preaching on unity. And he made a point that I thought was just so good. Our unity is actually often affected by our walk with God. And uh, I think there's scripture, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship. And that brings us back again to focusing Where is our focus? For leaders, if things get so big that you can't, that just gets bigger than you. I'm reminded of a story. This happened when I was in Philadelphia. I was just playing some of the leadership role there. And... um, We had a brother's meeting one evening, and some of the families, they just thought we should sit together as a congregation. You know, ladies, the families together. Well, some of us didn't come from that background, and so I wasn't quite sure about it, but that's the way the brother's meeting went, so I left to go. Then later, some older brethren who had been there for years came back and said, you know, we really don't feel comfortable with this. And I said, you know, I really would prefer, I like, I like, the old-fashioned way we do it, sisters on one side, men on the other. I kind of like that. And so the next brother's meeting, we decided to do that and switched it back. And um, one brother could not lay that down. It just it just became, he just wouldn't let it lie. I mean, so I didn't know what to do. I, I mean, what do you do when somebody just doesn't let something lie? And I said, okay. I said, tell you what. 
you pick a couple of leaders. Let's go sit down with them. And uh, you just share your problems with me <laughs> that you have with me. And I did that, and it was Brother John and Brother Leonard. And I just found such a tremendous freedom in sitting there that day and letting him spill himself. And uh, just humbling myself. Just humbling myself. Um, As it went that day, Brother John and Brother Leonard just spoke gently but kindly into the needs that were there. And it just resolved it resolved the issue, um, and I appreciated um, John ever since. I've had much action with you, John, but I appreciated that that day. Leadership carries a lot of weight. I tell you, When I think of that scripture verse, they watch for your souls as those who must give an account. There is a lot of weight with leadership, and I wish sometimes I could get out of it. I wish I could get away from it. Um, It's one thing being a leader in the business world because souls aren't at stake so much. It's another thing being a leader in the body of Christ. They watch for your souls as those who must give an account. And I think the part that grabs me and puts weight on me is the give account part. Give account. I started running construction crews about 18 years old. I became a foreman when I was about 18. And pretty much didn't do much else for years uh, until my father started moving out of the business some. And um, I just eventually took over as supervisor. And then, then uh, he, he, wanted, he wanted out of the responsibility, so I took his responsibilities. Um, and it went well for years. Actually, I've been in construction for probably about 30 years, uh, about I'm going to say four or five years ago, I got to a point in my life where I, the pressure got too much. The pressure got too much. It, in fact, it got so bad, I felt like I couldn't make decisions anymore. And I went to Brother John Byers. I don't know if you know him. I went to Brother John one day. I said, John, I, I can't. This thing has gotten bigger than me. I can't even make a decision. I need you to help me. And Brother John walked me that day through prayer. And then later we had a meeting in the office, sat down and just uh, shared, you know, how can we delegate responsibilities better. Um, I don't even remember what all the answers were. And I'm wondering today if some of that wasn't spiritual. Um I almost think that there were spiritual influences there that also were were creating a weight as I look back on it. And then, so go through that, and then right after that, they ordained me to the ministry. <laughs> okay. And uh, as I think about brotherhood, I have a challenge for you brothers here. 
Moses was involved in leadership, and two times it got to be too much, bigger than he could handle it. Aaron came, Aaron Hur, I believe it was, came alongside and held his hands up and spent time ministering to him. When was the last time you have gone to your leadership and said, Brother, we appreciate all the hard work. Um, if you haven't been involved with much leadership, uh, let me tell you a little bit about it. Many evenings, your wife and children have family worship together because you're out ministering to others. And many Saturdays, when you are doing things with your family, the leaders are preparing a message for Sunday. And my encouragement to you is, bless your brethren who are in leadership. Minister to them. Um, the second time when it got to be too much for leadership was Moses had the two million people um, trying to counsel. And his father-in-law came in with quite a bit of wisdom. He said, Moses, you're, you're, you're taking too much on yourself. Delegate the responsibility out. Find men who love God. Put responsibility on them. Do we pray for and bless those who've taken the responsibility in the brotherhood? And when was the last time you went to your brethren and encouraged them? I just discovered a couple weeks ago, our girls said, Dad, you remember you used to bring breakfast and bread and bed to us on Sunday mornings? I about forgot I actually did that for my children. I made breakfast, took it up, went around upstairs and delivered food to each bedroom so they could have breakfast in bed. I said, yeah, I used to do that. What happened? Oh, I'm almost busy every Sunday morning getting ready for a message. So a couple of weeks ago, I didn't have any preaching responsibilities that day, and I did it again. I took breakfast to the family in bed, and I don't know what your girls are like, but my girls somehow feel loved by that kind of thing. Um, thoughts in a basement. I was in Philadelphia seeking to minister to the families there. Went down in the basement different times and stood there and looked at the tape ministry. Looked at those tapes and I thought, you know what? The messages have been preached. And I can't preach a better message. I, 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 can't, I can't preach a better message. I just stood there and looked at them tapes. And since then, if I fear anything, it is this. It's unbelief. If I fear anything that could happen to our churches, I think that is the thing I fear the most. The fact that we can sit there and listen to the gospel and hear it preached, but don't live it. Unbelief. It's called unbelief. Unbelief. 
That is what I fear. You know, I'm part of the BBE team now, which is the Billboard Evangelism team. We answer the phone calls for Christian Aid Ministries for the billboards out across the country. And uh, a lot of men will call who are atheists. And you could almost count that they grew up in a Christian home. But here's my conclusion. It started, the unbelief actually started in the home back a generation or so. To go from this kind of setting to an atheist is probably going to be unlikely. It'll probably happen, it'll take a couple generations to get there. But it starts with, I think, unbelief. That's my conclusion. Um, Humility. If you take what I share today and you actually take one thing home that changes the direction of your life, it will be more than what happens most Sunday mornings. In fact, our churches would be dramatically changed if just one thing. So forget everything I said. I just want you, there's two points that I think, humility I think is absolute key. Um, Humility, 1 Peter 5. I want to turn there. You can turn there. As a young man, this scripture became alive to me. Um, Young men, submit yourselves, likewise you younger, verse 5, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. I spent time meditating on this as a young man. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourselves therefore, therefore, therefore. Therefore, referring back to submitting ourselves <clears throat> unto the older men, unto the elders, the elders. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. And uh, in some ways, as a young man, I felt like sometimes people boxed me in. I had great dreams and visions about the things I'm going to do for God and things. I almost felt sometimes like the older brethren were a little bit slow and they kind of... And as I thought about this, and God says, I will exalt you in due time. And I realize I want the exaltation that comes from God. I do truly want that. So how do I get that? Through humility. And, and, and what is the arm? What is the arm? Humble yourself there from the mighty hand of the, actually, what is the hand? Humble yourself there from the mighty hand of God. What is the hand? Somebody tell me. It's your brother. It's your brother. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Humble yourself there from the mighty hand of God. You mean God's 
hand looks like my brethren sometimes. Oh, no. Not them. Humble yourself, therefore, into the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. So here's one of the things I think both men in understanding leadership and women, they give way to fear sometimes in honoring their husbands because they don't think God is big enough to actually see my circumstances, nor is he big enough to protect me if my husband or the men in the church, who aren't a bunch of saints, by the way, that God is not big enough to work through them. And somehow we have to embrace by faith the word of God and just take it at face value. You know, faith is more than just a good feeling. Faith is actually believing the word of God and obeying it, even though we don't have a feeling. So if I would like to suggest anything, I would suggest humility. Actually, let's go back through here. I brought a testimony along. Just sharing a little bit. I uh, wrote a letter years ago, and I'm going to share some of it here. Um, It was over a time where I was wrestling with what I felt that some of my brethren preferred for me and what I felt the call of God was in my life. And, you know, I, I still don't know that I have all the answers for what happened. But I'll just share a little bit with you. Uh, right, dear brother, my name is Mel Bricker. I live in South Central Pennsylvania with my dear wife and three precious children, soon to be four. My purpose in writing is to ask your counsel in a situation that has left me without answer. To understand where I'm at now, we should probably back up nine years ago to when I gave my life to Christ at the age of 21. I'm just going to be kind of candid here because I'm kind of opening up here a little bit. As a new believer, I began in a zealous way to serve the Lord. As I look back, I would also say an untempered way. A year or so went by, and God began to touch my life in ways I did not think he would. The girl I was dating decided she didn't like me anymore. My financial investments fell to pieces, and God began to challenge my love for deer hunting. Um, It was a time of suffering. Like I never hoped to see again, and yet I am so grateful to God for allowing it to happen. I remember clearly the night when after several days of not eating or drinking. By the way, if you haven't drank for three days, it can it starts to hurt. If you've never drank for three days, it starts to hurt. Especially if you've been laying block and working hard the whole time. I remember the night I broke my fast with a cup of lemon juice. The juice was sweet and delicious. But the meaning behind it for me was my cup of suffering. Like Jesus took the cup and drank it. And for me, it was saying, God, you're welcome to do with me what you want. In my heart, it was a cup of bitter suffering. I wept and put it off as long as I could. And after that, I was given a new freedom. And I could read that scripture where Jesus said, unless you forsake all, you cannot be my disciple. I could read that without any fear. I spent hours reading the word and portions of scripture began to shine in a whole new way. 
such as humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he, underlined, may exalt you in due time. The mighty hand of God referring to those who are elder or those over you, First Peter 4, 1 and 2. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind, for he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Brother, if you have not suffered, I would like to suggest something to you. It's coming if you walk with God. You will find ways. No, you won't find it, and you don't need to look for it. God will allow it in some way. And it'll probably be in a way that you don't quite expect. You'll say, well, okay, Mel suffered. No, your thorn in the flesh will probably be in such a different way that you may not recognize it for a while. Over this time, I also became acquainted with the teaching and the death of a vision. As I studied, I was amazed at how many men went through that. Joseph, David, Moses, Paul, Jesus. I saw that many men God began to use around the age of 30. That's just sort of often in Scripture. Uh, Not always. It's it's not any kind of written formula or anything, okay? But... I began to have hope for the future and began to expect my real life work to begin around the age of 30. I viewed those years till then as training years. The years have gone by and I spent them serving my father on earth as one of the two lead foremen for our construction company. All this is background to several months ago when one night I was standing outside looking up at the night sky and was just reminding God about the fact that uh, I'm 30 now. Not that he'd forgotten about me as much as to let him know that I hadn't forgotten and I just wanted to know if he had any work for me. Even while I stood there, I received a phone call from a brother in another church. He wanted me to come you know if my family had moved to Honduras this winter and served down there. So I got the phone call the same evening. I'm standing outside looking up at the night sky and praying, okay? So he wanted me to coordinate a construction project for an orphanage that wanted some help. I was delighted. It sounded like the perfect opportunity. The time of the phone call, pure religion, undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fathers and the widows and their afflicts. This is, this is it. <clears throat> so I called him back and gave him the affirmative and let him know we'd be happy to come. When I, what I did not expect was a reaction to some about our going, especially my parents-in-law. Um, And others, a number of others just didn't feel like the timing was right. Uh, some left us know in no uncertain terms that if they um, just they just didn't feel this was God's call in their life. We're busy. We have four small, little children. Um, one sister wrote, "She just feel right about us going." Still, another wrote and let me know my first responsibilities to my family, which I agree with. Um, others have been encouraged. To us, my wife doesn't want the final decision to be any of her responsibilities. So, that although she will live with the consequences, she would not be responsible for the decision. It would obviously create some stress, but so was having four small children and building a house at the same time. As my wife has so well commented, for what purpose should we try to preserve ourselves? Of those opposed to strongest, none have ever been to a third world country. One family has been there, encouraged us to go. Oh, your children's ears might sag a little from all the bug bites, but you'll be fine. <laughs> 
And so I finished it up and said, so I just told him, I said, this is, I've never felt pulled so hard in two directions. And my father-in-law, I felt was a very godly man. And that day I made a decision, after wrestling with her for a while, I decided I'm just going to honor the brotherhood. I'm just going to let it lay. And that's what I did. That's what I did. Um, because of that scripture verse, humble yourself in the mighty hand of God that he may. And I wanted, I wanted to be something from God. I want, I want God's blessing on my life. And I want to know what it truly means to humble myself under my brethren. Um, if I believe the scripture but never actually do it, then I guess I'm an unbeliever. <clears throat> so I did it. And... Uh, I remember an older brother, a pastor in a church, coming up to me and just saying, you know, Mel, your first responsibility is towards my children. I was thinking, I'm tired of living in a box. I just, the work of the kingdom is more important, right? <clears throat> but, but, you know, attitudes are probably more important. Godly character. What is more, what ministers to people? Is it, is it the words we say or the life we live? I mean, what <clears throat> good attitudes? Which is more important? Everything be right or that we have proper attitudes? <clears throat> so anyway, um, I just I want to tell you what did happen then. I served my father in the business. And as I did that, it gave me a platform to reach out financially to some orphanages. And I found out about a need. They were looking for a building for starting an orphanage. I got involved with it. We built an orphanage. and went down there one day and sat down with the administrator. And we were sitting there sharing just one evening. It was an El Salvadoran night, dark outside, fellowshipping. And I found out that he spent 14 years praying that God would provide that they could have this orphanage. I found out we were about the same age, about 40-some 40, 40 years old. We, I think we were the same age. And we both told our girlfriends when we were dating them that someday we want to be involved with an orphanage. Now, the difference between him and me was he grew up in an orphanage. And so he had the life skills much better than I did for ministering to orphan children. And so... <clears throat> I felt like it came full circle and I was able to minister and yet honor God. Um, And I have also sort of developed a burden over the years. I just want to encourage Anabaptist people. I love our Anabaptist churches. But I want to encourage them to be developing a character and a Christianity in your heart that your children, your sons, do not mind worshiping with you. In fact, 
it's hard to export something we can't give our children. It's hard to do that. I don't, I'm going to finish with a poem. I, I, I don't write poems. I just, I, I don't like, I'm not a theologian. But God gave me one poem. Actually, I had one I wrote when I was little, just a kind of birds and bees type of thing. But, uh, and then years went by and somebody encouraged us to write a parable for Bible study one evening. So I was home from church one Sunday because our little baby girl was going to be born that day. And we didn't know she was a girl yet, but we had a baby. And so we were, my wife and our home waiting. And so I sat down and I wrote a poem. <clears throat> and, uh, as I look at it over the years, I think it's relevant over and over and over. Here it is. Parable of the engine. We were supposed to write a parable, but I kind of put it into a poem form. There once was an engine whom we will name Cummins, whose parts are well oiled, and he was a humming. Though the road he had traveled had been quite long, he was still far from the end and feeling quite strong. Side by side, the pistons were laboring that noon. At 2,000 RPM, they were pumping a tune. The valves took their turn in perfect time, and Brother Crankshaft kept the rods on the climb. Mile upon mile and state by state, Cummins was coming and would not be late. But say, what was that bump? Did somebody fall? Oh, don't worry, my brother. It's no problem at all. We just straddled a rock and everyone's fine, even though we did leave Brother Cat behind. Now the oil began flowing. It couldn't stay in between the cap and the engine. It soon stretched too thin. And Cummins' tune changed. And Brother Camshaft complained of headaches and blisters and serious back pain. And Piston ran strong, but he was no longer mellow. Soon those by his side thought him an abrasive fellow. Rod grew hot and up he stood. And the last we knew, he went through the hood. <laughs> there is an oil called love. And it's important that we keep a good supply. When you've got strong brethren who work side by side. Beloved. Let us love one another, for love is of God. Everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Let's love one another.